Okay. Uh, amen. Thank you, God, for, uh, for this opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for, for being here, God. And thank you for um, things you've done in my life, Lord. God, I really appreciate it. Um, I really do. And I thank you for being here. When I ask you for your help, because um, I can't help myself, and I thank you for helping me and for being my God. Show me what that means. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I apologize for bringing you into the private business I had with God real quick because a lot of times I kept saying during all this, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Please help me out. Uh, Giving on to God and to his people here at Faith Chapel, you know, to, uh, to Pastor Kelly, Pastor Jim, and, and just uh, my, my wife, my lovely wife, Sarah. Hey, Sarah. All right. Uh, 30 years, me and her, so I thank God for that. I think it was this week we had a little bit right here. Okay, all right, because it's a cool, okay. Uh, this week we had a great opportunity to just go hang out like the old days, you know. It was just uh, Sarah and I were in the car. We just had to drive, I think it was to, to um, Ithaca or something, just riding, and it just reminded me so much of the old days. I love my girls. Uh, my daughter's Jordan's here, and uh, Jazara's at work, and I love my daughters, but Jazara's here. Hey, hey Jazara, hi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amen. I love my daughters, but you know, I just really love a special time for those times that we were together because uh, we were married for, I think, seven years before we had children. So we spent a lot of time just hanging out, and um, it was just good to do that. And I, I really appreciate that. Again, see, I always bring God into I'm talking to God, so I, get, I appreciate God, but I forgot that y'all are here. Sorry. And, <laughs> and to my students who are here, I have Isaac right here and uh, Juliet. And uh, the two of my students from school, they see me enough during the week, I'm sure. But I think that, that they're here now, too. It's been a tough, not a tough year, a rough year. Um, but it's all good because it's, um, it's coming to a close and we're getting ready to go. All right. Um, thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, just be with us right now. In Jesus' name, be with me, God. You know me. God, you know me. You know me better than anyone else, Lord. I thank you. You know me and you know I need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this message was a little, it was a difficult message. It was difficult. I don't preach, you know, it was, it was just difficult. Um, from the beginning, it really had impact on my life. It's just me and stuff. Um, it was tough. Um, and, I was, and thinking about it, and then we'll just get into it, all right? A lot of people, would, anybody has clocks or phones that have clocks or devices that have clocks that have alarms, those alarms also have a snooze function, okay, a snooze function, okay, and that, <laughs> and that allows you to snooze, to, yeah, to get a, a couple of extra moments sleep, you know, you hit that snooze, it goes off, maybe it goes three, five minutes, seven minutes or whatever, gives you a little, a little extra sleep, um, and I read up on it a little bit, and um, behavioral scientists or behavioral, um, yeah, scientists, people who study behavioral and sleep studies, they point out there's like a controversy with that. They say that the snooze button or the snooze function sometimes is counterproductive to the person get, does get the sleep that they need. Okay, they get the extra few moments to sleep. But they say that sometimes uh, using a snooze disrupts your sleep patterns and it can make you more tired when you do wake up than you were before. Because they say what happens when you begin to wake up, the alarm goes off, signals my body and my mind that now it's time to wake up. Okay, and your body begins to go through the motions, but then I, ging, I hit the snooze, and now I'm going to go back to sleep. And so to the person, they say, well, I'm going to get a few moments to extra sleep, three or five minutes, maybe 10 minutes, depending on who you are, uh, extra hours, extra minutes to sleep. But your body is not thinking it's going to get three or five minutes extra sleep. It's thinking it's going into another sleep cycle for a few hours. Okay, so your body and your mind, okay, so that's the parts of you that go to sleep. They're getting in mode to get a couple of hours sleep. But the reality is it's going to get a couple of moments sleep. So what happens is uh, if it's three minutes, the alarm goes back up, you force yourself to get up. Your body says, hey, wait, 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 I was going to get a couple of hours sleep. I was just digging in, man. I was getting ready. You know, so now you're a little more tired. Now, I'm not, I'm not here to talk about sleep. Um, sleep studies or snooze control. I know very good people who use a snooze. 
Very good people. There's one back there smiling right now. <laughs> they use the snooze, and it's all good. I'm just saying that that's, that's the function of it. Because when we do go to sleep, our body goes to sleep to recharge from the natural functions. Our minds go to sleep, okay, because it gives us time to kind of recharge and cool things out in our mind. Our spirit man doesn't go to sleep, though. Spirit man stays awake, okay? And uh, I've heard people prophesy in their sleep, speaking tongues in their sleep, okay? Had a brother prophesy to me while he was asleep and spoke in tongues while he was asleep. And the guy, just like he put his finger on my head, and as he did, I understood what he was saying. And then when the message was over, I couldn't understand anything. But I remembered what he said, and uh, it was good. Also, um, for anyone who's watching us, thank you. Welcome to Faith Chapel. Um, welcome to this message. Okay, uh, I wish I was there for coffee, but I'm not. I'll get my coffee later. Uh, just enjoy the message and um, be blessed. We're praying for you, and uh, thank you for praying for us. Okay, um, so, so our bodies go to sleep, and they wake up, and, uh, and then we go about our day. Okay, we go about our day. The word, the word of God says in um, Romans 5.14, okay, if you can look it up with me real quickly, all right, because I've got a bunch of scriptures, okay, you could read them, you don't have to necessarily read them if you don't want to, you can read them and maybe copy them down and just get the, the, uh, the references so that you can um, go back to it, okay, uh, because God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, okay, if you diligently seek him, Okay, he will reward you. My brother in the back, how you doing? How you doing? You good? Good? Yeah, you know, I'm just one of I know you from back in the day. All right. God says he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. So if you are diligent about seeking God, he will reward you because that's his character. That's who he is. If you go after God for understanding and you're making, taking that extra effort, going that extra mile or extra couple of blocks, God will reward you for that. So 15.4. And Romans says, okay, the things which were written before time, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scripture, we may have hope. May God, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves to follow Jesus Christ. But he says, the things are written aforetime. I, sometimes I'll transition back to King James. Uh, my orientation, you know, was, is in King James. So I will say it sometimes. So the things written before were written for our admonition to give us, to, um, to teach us and to give us hope. Give us hope. Because we live in a time that there's not a lot of hope. We live in a very um, depressing kind of time. It's unfortunate. That's that's the situation. That's it. When this message hit me, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, I was, I don't, I was going home. I was sick. And in addition to being sick, I was very sad. I don't know why, but I was very, very sad. Okay? And, um, and I, I believe God was, was kind of giving me a taste of, of what a lot of people feel about these days. These are very difficult days. These are the last days. Okay? And last days, I'll jump, transition to Peter 22, I mean, Peter 3, uh, 2 Peter 3, and um, 3 through 4. Okay, again, I'm just moving kind of fast. I don't know if they're putting it up here. If not, then we're, we're good because you're getting it down. But with 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Okay? It says, in the last days, now what are these last days? I mean, oh, what are the last days like? I mean, they said they're going to be perilous times. First understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, following after their own evil desires, okay? And they will say, where is his coming? Where's the coming he promised? You know, ever since our fathers died, everything is going on as it had um, since the beginning of creation. Where is he? Jesus is coming back. I don't see him. And my, my dad didn't see him. And my great-grand didn't see him. They're saying, and these scoffers are like mockers. He's coming back. Sure, he's coming back. It's the last days. It's been the last days for the, for the last hundred years, they're saying. And 
where does he come? And these scoffers, they undermine a lot of sometimes the, te- the faith that we have. You mean you didn't get that healing yet? You mean you didn't get that thing yet? You prayed for somebody and they got healed, but you didn't get healed? How come you can't heal yourself? Why do you go to church every Sunday? Why do you give your tithes? Oh, my God, if I, you know, there's these scoffers, they find a way to mock and undermine the things that we're doing or the things that you may do in a way that can cause us to at least feel tired, a little deflated. Okay, he said these scoffers will come and they are all about what they want. And sometimes they undermine, they attempt to mock or to undermine the truth of God. Second Timothy also picks it up with these scoffers. Second Timothy says, all right, Second Timothy um, 3, it gets a little more um, into it, okay, identifying these scoffers, especially identifying these, uh, these last times. This is a market student the last times. People will be lovers of themselves. Listen to this. You know, because the Bible, sometimes we read it quickly. But if we read it slowly a little bit, you know, we really don't have time to read it very slowly. But if you have time to read it slowly and look at it and reflect on it, it says, oh, my gosh. It says, people will be lovers of themselves. I love myself. I'll look in the mirror. I'll look. I don't don't need a mirror. I got a phone with a camera. I can look at myself. And I see it all day. What are you looking at myself? Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud. Abusive. Disobedient to parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Without love. Unforgiving. Slanderous. Without self-control. Brutal. Not lovers of good. Okay? Treacherous, self-rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but no substance, but denying the power of godliness. They say these are going to be how people are doing this last days, this last time. The Bible always says in the, in the last, days, perilous, last days, perilous times will come. And I think of perilous, you know, I just think of it in my mind, I don't know why. I think of a ship, okay, and a ship is going in the water, and there's all kind of stuff under that water that you don't see. There could be a wreckage of another ship or a rock or a log or something. And to me, peril means it's kind of um, an unspecified danger that you really don't know where it is, but there's an unspecified danger that is grave and um, very dangerous, okay? I have it written down. I'm repeating words. It's that it's an unspecified danger that, is, that is, can make a huge impact on a person. Perilous. Now, now that I think about it, that's how I felt that day. It was something wrong, but I didn't know what it was. But I knew it was definitely something wrong. And it had the capacity to change things in a moment. Perilous times. He says, perilous times will come. Then he talks about the people, what they are like during those times. Ungrateful, undermining your faith, undermining my faith, trying to make fun of us, trying to make fun of what we leave. I don't make fun of you. Do I get, sometimes do I get a little frustrated? I do get frustrated. And I may even get a little sarcastic among myself, but I don't make fun of what you believe in. But they make fun of what we believe in to undermine it. Jesus gives probably the best definition of this peril or this danger of this time in uh, Luke 21. Now, when I'm really kind of, you know, sometimes when it's really getting bad, I'm looking at stuff and see how crazy things are. I'll go to Luke 21. It gives me a little bit of perspective on some things that are going on in our world. Luke 21, verses, um, I won't read the whole thing. Okay, verse 10. He picks up at verse 10. The disciples, uh, Jesus' earthly ministry is coming to a close, and um, he's getting ready to know. The disciples kind of sense what's going on with Jesus. He's already told them, okay, I'm going to be leaving, I'm going to die and resurrect, and they don't really get it, but they kind of know what's going on with it. 
And um, he's at the temple, and he sees the widow and the mite, and he puts that in perspective, that she gave all that she had, which was more than the people who had a lot, what they gave, because they just gave a fraction of what they had, and she gave all of what she had, which is really another message, which is a good message, but we can, that's a different day. But then and they, and they ask about the, pe- the temple, and Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth, it's coming up, it's coming that not one stone on this temple will be placed upon another one that's not thrown down. This whole temple is going to get wrecked. This whole city is going to get wrecked. And they say, well, okay, tell us about this and about the end of the age. What's going to happen during the end of the age? And Jesus goes to them. He says, first, let me tell you, kingdom is going to, nation is going to rise up against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and famines and pestilences in various places, fearful events, uh, great signs from heaven. It's going to be going crazy. Okay, and then he goes down. You will be taken, in, you know, into synagogues and different things, and you will be uh, made to speak before the authorities that are there to to speak for your your, your faith. And many of you will be put to death. You'll be betrayed by brother and sister and parents that will be betraying you uh, because they think that that's the right thing to do. When in fact, it's going to cost you your life. Then he gets into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by its enemies, and it's going to be destroyed. And that's the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So he's prophesying a few different eras. He's going way out, looking to our days, and he's backing up, and he's looking at 70 AD, which is about 40 years from where he is uh, in time right then and there. But then he gets down to um, the first part. He says, but first, let me tell you, do not be deceived. Okay, it's right here in verse 8. Now, originally, I just skipped over so I can get into the, uh, the meat of it. But the first thing he tells them, he says, watch out. Do not be deceived. Because many will come in, my, in that day claiming to be me, saying, the time is near, follow me, and claiming who, all who I am, saying they're, they're the Messiah, and follow him, um, follow them. So the greatest temptation, not a temptation, but the, the greatest peril of this day is to be deceived into leaving Christ. Deceived in a way that we place our faith, we place our hope, we face everything into something that cannot handle it. Something that cannot sustain it. Something other than Christ. Okay? For it says in Acts, okay, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, no name is given under heaven by which we must be saved. So, if he's, you know, these deceivers and false prophets, Pat, are going to come to lure us away from our faith being in Christ, okay? When we place our faith in Christ, then we are secure in our eternal state. We're secure in eternity going with him. But anything other than faith in Christ is uh, not only wasted, okay, um, it will cost us eternity. Or at least eternity in a good place. Okay? It will make us ineligible for heaven. If our faith is in Christ. He said the biggest, one of the biggest threats during this time. It's not the earthquakes and the pestilences. You know, so I looked at it. It was perilous times. I mean, the what? People dying now are different than people who died 2,000 years ago? Is it different than when those Romans were killing people or the Assyrians? Is it different than them? No, people who died by the Assyrian sword, they die looking just like people who died today by another sword. So it's the same people are dying, but now this real, this, this, this uh, threat here is that they die without faith in Christ. Okay, think about that. They die without faith in Christ. To die is one thing. Probably all of us here will die. If Jesus, if God delays his coming beyond this time, we all will die. However, to die without hope in Christ is a totally different thing. Because that's an eternal death. That's the second death and all of that stuff, all of those things. come. But to die in Christ, you go absent from the body, present where? With the Lord, okay? Y'all can participate. We're good. Present with the Lord, okay? All right, so... The, the greatest threat in these end times is to die without Christ. All right? Die without Christ. 
However, we still have this stuff going on now. Everything we trust in seems like it's falling. Everything. The money falls. Everything we've placed our trust in. Think of it. Everything that man has erected or built up or, 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 or created to help us survive. Every institution. Every star. Everything is shaking and it's failing. It's really failing. And, um, and this is what we're seeing now. We're seeing the destruction of things now. Some would say, you know, some people may say, well, this is God doing this and he's making this happen. Um, not so. Okay. What pretty much what Jesus did, I'm not going to say what he did, but what can happen is, uh, for instance, I'm reading a book. Okay. Um, a book. I'm reading it to someone. Read it to my, friend, my, my, my daughters or, my, my, or whatever. Reading a book. I turn to the end of the book, and I say, oh, this is going to happen at the end of the book. Even though we're at this part, the first part of the book. Did I make that thing happen at the end of the book? No, you can answer me. Did I make this happen? No, I didn't make it happen. I just turned to the end of the book and saw it, and I told you about it. God is not making this happen. This is happening because it's going to happen, because anything that we do by ourselves is ultimately doomed to failure. Everything. We set people up, oh, the greatest, he's so funny, oh, man, I love this guy. We find out, my God, what was this man doing to these women? You know? You know, and I'm just, I don't want to, you know, to be hating. My dad loved Bill Cosby. He says, oh, man, because he was like one of the first black stars in, in primetime TV in a leading role, and he was doing good. And then I look at him now, I say, oh, my God, oh, my gosh. Uh, what in the world is going on? But you know what? It's not only that. It's everything we set up. Everyone we set up will fail us. Every system we set up will fail us. Will fail. We're seeing even now, even, you know, we, we love democracy. We love our country. We do, and we do. But God say, look, if, if, if what you make, Kevin, will, will sustain you and last throughout eternity, then who are you? Our stuff will fail. It will fail. Okay? Now, God, his, his part in this, okay, is that um, in Hebrews chapter 12, okay, um, again, one of my favorite, favorite parts in the Bible. I'm a person, I love favorites, okay? I, I like favorites, okay? And people say, well, what's your hometown? I said, my hometown, I, D.C. is my hometown. Uh, Brooklyn is my hometown, Okay? Uh, Toronto is my hometown. I mean, I go to a place, I like it. I say, that's my hometown. You know, I say, seriously, man, you know, get off of it. I just, you know, and Hebrews, one of my favorite books in the Bible. You know, uh, Hebrews, and Hebrews, I love every of them. Hebrews uh, 12 is awesome. You know, they have thought that since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you know, who was born testimony of the truth, let's thus cast off every sin and the weight, every weight and sin that does those easily, um, uh, defy us, or not defy us, but, but entangle us. And let's run with patience the appointed course that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of, his, of our faith. Later on in that chapter, it says in um, ch- um, verse 25, 25, see to it, did you not refuse him? And it's talking about, talking about God when he was dealing with the Israelites. Okay, he met with the Israelites and he was meeting with, he met with the Israelites, he says, I'll meet you at the mountain. He's going to meet him at the mountain. And there was a law that said, nobody can go near the mountain. If a beast, a deer goes near the mountain, you got to kill it. It was bad. And then God came to the mountain. He came to the mountain, everybody's so scared. And you know what they said? They said, look here, oh, Moses, uh, why don't you talk to God? <laughs> And we'll just wait back here a little bit, okay? You can talk to God for us. We don't, we don't want to talk to him. We're scared to death of him. You talk to him, Moses, because, see, he, doesn't, he won't kill you, and then you can come tell us what God said. And this was the beginning of them pushing themselves away from God a little bit. Sometimes we push ourselves, you know, and now I'm not saying we, but they push themselves away from God a little bit. So God spoke to them. So he's referencing this right here. The writer, the writer of Hebrews is referencing this right here. So he says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape, who refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we 
if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whoa. The one he was, he was on earth, now the one who speaks from heaven, you better, we better not mess this one up. Okay? Speaks from heaven. At that time, his, earth shook, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. That once means to indicate the removing of things that can be shaken. He said, I'm going to shake everything. Not only everything on earth, the heavens are going to shake. He says, God is, he's coming, he's, he's bringing it together now. We saw, before it was like the, the first verse, this is the culmination of every, of his plan. Yeah, I'm going to shake the heavens. Everything is going to shake. The earth is going to shake. Your institutions are going to shake. Your, uh, your ideals are going to shake. Your concepts and philosophies are going to shake. It's all going to shake. And even the heavens are going to shake. Everything is going, everything is going to feel this. All of creation is going to feel this shaking that is going on. And in part, that's what we're feeling now. Okay? Partially because of the stuff that we met. And it's not, it's not that we're bad people. We had to get stuff, make stuff so we can operate and so we can survive. It's just that the stuff that we made is fallible. And it's faulted because that's the best we can do. And it's all beginning to come to a head and it's shaking. And this is what we see with this. Not only this, but the earth itself is beginning to fall apart with the natural disasters and different things that are going on. Okay. And at this time, um, with this time, with this, we see things falling apart. And we, especially with these scoffers and we see the ungodliness and th- things that are going on. All right. We can interact with one of two ways. We can engage it and try to correct it or engage it in a way that's going to glorify God. Or what can frequently happen is we'll accept it. And when we accept it, kind of it brings a, to- a little different thing that happens. When we look at these last days and the different things that are going on, we either can engage it actively to stop it or to change it or to, um, to glorify God in and show where God is, or we back up and we accept it. And when that happens, then we relax in it. We become comfortable in it, okay? And then it, uh, it, we become comfortable in it. Look at Lot. We talked about Lot last week. Lot, when he went to Sodom, he was there. You know, he was with Abraham. He knew what, was, he knew what Abraham was doing. He knew what kind of life Abraham had. He knew what was expected of him. He went to Sodom and he began to, he saw things were not good. Things were not good, so he, he, he kind of accepted it. Maybe he didn't look at it all the way, he didn't hate it fully. He just said, well, maybe they're going to do that or whatever. And the more he accepted it, the more it was okay with him. And the more it was okay with him, the more relaxed he was in that environment. And so much so when the angels came to destroy the city, they went and grabbed Lot, Lot, Abraham said, Lot, got to get Lot out of here. Lot come and, and Lot, um, it, actually, when the angels get to Sodom, Lot is at the gate. Not only is he living in the city, not only is he kind of in some way approving of what's going on in the city, he works for the city. He keeps the gate. He watches at the gate there, and he waits there for people to come, welcome to the city, welcome to Sodom. We have a food thing right here, a food court over there. You can get your horses taken care of right here. You know, he's right there at the gate, promoting the city. Angels come, he sees what's going on, he says, oh, oh, he switches gears. Okay, oh, okay, I'm not going to promote Sodom, I'm going to get you guys out of here. Okay, why don't you come to my house, and uh, an angel say, no, no, we're not going to go to your house. We want to stay in the square. We want to sit and we want to sleep in the park. He says, no, 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 please, please don't sit in the park. Come to my house. You got to come. You got to come. You know, my wife make a good meal for you and this and that. You can come. And in the morning, you can go. He says, in the morning, you're going to get up early and go. Early, before anyone else gets up, because they're hanging out. They're partying. So while they're still hungover, you get out of the city. The angel said, okay, well. They go to his house, and then we know the rest of the story. The people uh, from all over the town, they come to Lot's house. Bang, 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 bang. Lot, where are those men? Where are those men that, uh, that you brought into your house? We want them. We want them. 
I'm like, wait a minute. I, I was reading it. I said, seriously? Okay, now, if you're into all of that, why don't you want each other? Why you got to have these people just coming in here? <coughs> Excuse me. So they want them, and Lot, Lot tries to, you know, the angel says, we're going to get out of here. We're going to destroy the city. Get your people out. Lot gets his daughters out. His wife, a wife's getting ready. She's ready to go. He goes to get the, the uh, men that the daughters are betrothed to for marriage. Okay? First he tries to give his daughters up to the, to the, to the mob. And the mob says, no, we, want these, we don't want them. We want the guys. I mean, it goes from bad to worse to worse. He goes to the guys betrothed to his daughters, and they say, you must be joking. Seriously, Lot? Oh, seriously. Oh. They think he's joking. Again, this is the character Lot had with the people. Okay, because if at one point he just became comfortable in that ungodly situation. Okay, and that's with him was relaxed. Relaxed. Watch where you relax yourself. Watch where you relax yourself. Another one, Samson. Samson knew it was coming. Samson, he, you know, he's, he's prophesied, oh, he's going to be a great man. He's going to liberate his people from the Philistines. They're, they're arch enemies. He's going, to, he's going to be the one. Some kind, sometimes for Samson to get married, I don't want an Israelite wife. I want a Philistine wife. Wait a second. Didn't you just say that he's supposed to liberate them from the Philistines? Yeah, but I want a Philistine wife. So he gets a Philistine wife, plays by different rules, different culture, polyistic culture. Right, Juliet? Many gods, right? So, and uh, he, gets, he gets with her, and then uh, he, he makes a deal with her family to, to, um, to raise some money for his, his wedding stuff. And um, it's a bet. You know, he said, makes a bet with them. And the bet, he's like, you know, he killed the lion on the way. He says, well, what comes out of the, the honey comes out of the heat. Well, anyway, read the story. Because it's it's I don't want to, because I'm not really good with telling the story that I'm not. So, they betray him. The wife betrays him because they wanted to know the secret to a riddle that he had. So they told her that they were going to kill her father if she didn't find out the secret. So she's all over him. Oh, tell me the secret. Tell me the secret. He finally gives in. She tells him the secret that people win the bet. Samson figures out, oh, you win the, won the bet because my wife, she gabbed or she told you what was going on. So he says, okay, I don't want to, you know, he gets mad at her and everything goes back. And then her father, her father, this is really, the Philistines are really just, you know, he goes back to her father. He says, well, you know, I thought you didn't love her. I gave her to your best friend. Now she's his wife. However, she's got a younger sister that you can take for your wife. And, you know, and, and then he just forget, you know, forget you people, he's gone. Then he meets Delilah. Say, so, well, Delilah wasn't the first way. He met Delilah down the way. At this time, the Philistines are coming after him. And Delilah, he's, they try to get him. Delilah, what's his great strength? Because he's beating the Philistines left and right. So he plays a game with her. He says, well, if they do this, I won't be strong. So she does that to him. Wake up, wake up. The Philistines are here. He comes out. Oh, he goes superhero on them, beats all the Philistines. And she says, oh, see, you really don't love me. You would have told me your secret. Yeah, but I would have been dead had I told you. Okay. But so she, he does it again. And she does it again. I think three or four times, three times for sure, she does it. She said, I'm going to die. You don't love me. You say you love me. Tell me your secret. He tells her a secret. And what does he does? He lays down with his head in her lap. I just told you the secret. When I told you the secret the first two times, I saw that you set me up. My enemies tried to kill me. The only thing that kept me is that I still have my strength. But he tells her his secret, puts his head in her lap, while she probably plays with his hair, and he goes to sleep. See how relaxed he is? He's relaxed. He's given in. He's relaxed. Similar situation goes on with the disciples. In Matthew 26, Jesus is telling the disciples... Okay, again, like I said, you probably already know this story or you know this, okay? Um, he tells the disciples, they know what's going on, okay? They come out to dinner, they see he's upset. They said, Jesus came to the disciples to a place named Gethsemane. 
and said to them, sit here, I'm going to pray. So he took Peter and John, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. I'm going a little farther. So, okay, A, is Jesus saying he's sorrowful because he's playing a word game? Is Jesus saying he's sorrowful because he really is in stress and in de-stress? Or is Jesus trying to tell them really there's nothing to worry about? Jesus is, he's never said this. He has never said this. In a storm, when everyone else is crazy, Jesus is like, okay, I got this. Okay? When the people are trying to kill him, Jesus is like, I got this. When Jesus is even talking about being crucified and raised from the dead, everyone else, Peter's getting upset. Jesus says, no, I got this. Gethsemane, Jesus is like, I'm at the point of death. Okay? He's really stressed, right? He knows. I mean, nowhere in the Bible does it say Jesus is in this condition except right here. Okay? Maybe in another gospel that kind of uh, chronicles or narrative, gives the same narrative. He goes a little farther and puts his face to the ground and prays, uh, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, but your will, but my will, my, not my will, but your will be done. I'm sorry. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Finds them sleeping. Now, this is a big day. A lot of stuff is going on. He's already been betrayed. Okay? It's kind of going crazy. Things were going kind of sideways. Jesus has already told them he's, he's kind of overwhelmed almost unto death. And they're sleeping when he gets back. Could you not keep watching me for an hour? He says, Peter, watch with me. Watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, uh, unless I drink it, that your will will be done. Let me read it. My father, if it is not your will, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He came back, found them sleeping again. Okay? The pressure, the pressure is on them. And now they're sleeping again. They're relaxed. They don't want to be relaxed. And I think that's maybe a supernatural kind of sleep. I don't know what this is. But they're asleep this time too at a time that Jesus really needs them. He needs them. He's never needed them before. Jesus himself saying, hey, um, I need your help. I'd be, yeah, sure, Jesus. What you need, I'm with you. And, uh, and then they just fell asleep on him. Okay. We're almost done shortly. Okay. So these times that we're living, we're back to perilous times. These times have this, this, this effect on us. Everywhere we turn around is bad news. Everywhere. I'm, I don't want to repeat it because it's just bad news. All kind of bad news. It's this disease is coming back. This disease is coming back. Okay? People are dying over here. And people died over there. Okay? Um, secondly, the choice among children 10 to 24 is um, suicide. We lost more people in Chicago, okay, um, since 2010 than we lost in, an, in Iraq and Afghanistan put together. Okay? We've got um, 42,000 deaths in 2016 due to uh, opioids. They had 115 people overdosing a day, a day, due to opioids, okay? We have school shootings that are off the map. Um, how many, I think it was um, 35 school shootings since um, uh, January of this year. We were going with a, an average of one school shooting every week, you know? And I said this, you know, and then... Turn around, get back, turn around, boom, another school shooting just that quick. I think there was something Friday. 
Okay? Well, I mean, everywhere we go, we get that bad news. And what this news does to us, it pushes and pushes and pushes and tries to just bring us down. It says, we're supposed to be having a good time. I'm supposed to be trusting in Jesus. People ask me how I'm doing. I say I'm doing okay, but man, I'm not doing okay. This world is going crazy. We got nuclear weapons pointing over here. We got nuclear weapons trying to make a deal over there. But we're trying to make a deal with somebody else that they're connected with them. They got their own nukes. And the other people, they got their nukes. So we think it through. We say, wait a second. If we did take care of this guy, they still have everyone else has got nuclear weapons we're worried about. We've got terrorism. We've got this and that. Just so much stuff. And I didn't even catch a lot of the disasters and things we got on and what they do to us to just hit us and hit us. And we kind of try to hope and it hit us a little more. And we try to hope and it hit us a little more and a little more. And we say, oh, my gosh. And we're doing everything we can to make it through what we've got to get through. Because Jesus says, lift your head up high because your redemption draws nigh. It's rejoining near. Your redemption draws near. Okay, it's drawing near, Jesus. But, man, it's hard to lift my head up because everything is going crazy. Everything is going crazy. So we tend to go to sleep. I go to sleep, me and my phone. Or I play video games, so I just kind of go. Or chill, so because I don't want to face this stuff that's going on. It's too much. So I won't go to feed the city. Away. And then the people outside church have things worse than we got going on. And Peter says, be sober. Peter comes in 2 Peter, um, uh, let me see, 2 Peter 5 and 8 and 9. He says, be sober. Don't go to sleep. Don't take the easy road. Don't nod out. Be sober. Wow, sorry. <laughs> Be vigilant, okay? Okay, wake up. Wake up. He said, and this is what Jesus was saying to them. Wake up. Wake up. This is the time. You got to wake up. You've never, you slept during, wake up. Now it's time to wake up. Be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Oh, what do you mean whom he may devour? May devour to steal them away from the faith in Jesus. Maybe if I were to say, well, maybe, maybe Jesus really isn't the one. Maybe I need to trust in something else. Maybe it's Jesus and Buddha, or, you know, or whatever. It says, be sober vigilant, your adversary, the wrong one, walking about seeking whom he may devour. Okay? Whom resist, it says, resist him. Steadfast in the faith. Because the same is being done by your brethren who in the world also. So we back away a little bit, say, wait, you know. And then some of them say, well, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here, but wait a minute, wait, wait. Does God, God made lines, right? Uh, Mom, God made lines, right? Yeah. Does God know how big lines are? Lines are big. I think a male line, I think female lines are like eight, nine hundred pounds, and male lines are even bigger than that. Does God know how big those teeth are? God knows you have retractable claws. They go like this, and the claws come out. That's so, that's so cool. The claws come out, and they just go, the claws come out a little further. That lions, did you want me to mess with a lion? In Proverbs, the man says, uh, there's a lion in the streets. I'm not going to work. There's a lion. The sluggard says in his heart, there's a lion. He said, not saying in his heart. He says out loud, there's a lion in the streets. I'm not going out. He knows what the lion is doing. He knows how powerful a lion is. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, we're a new creature. We're greater than lions. You see, the lion is in the streets, and he is truthful, and he does destroy people. But guess what? We are better than lions. Amen? And we are bigger than lions. So any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Jesus says, behold, I give you authority to tread upon scorpions and over snakes, over all the power of the enemy. Okay, the Bible says in Psalm 91, it says, you will tread upon lions. You'll stomp on them, you know, and, and on scorpions, you have the ability to do that. See, part of it is <coughs> that we're so, we get so inundated with everything else, we forget who we are. We forget who we are. Sure, the news is bad. The news is terrible. But we forget who we are in this thing, okay? We can, we can... 
we, we are better than that, okay? And we are bigger than that. We, we have to understand that Jesus said, I am the, we'll do a note for choice. My kids know this. I am the blank and you are the blank. Okay, I'm the blank. Go ahead. Go ahead, give it Josh. Thank you, Josh. Okay. <laughs> I'm the vine and you are the branches. Okay? Now, think this through. We know what vines and branches are. We don't have to have a PhD. We can see this. Okay, vine, <laughs> vine, branches. Okay? Vine, branches. The same juice that's in the vine is where else? In the branches. Okay? The same juice that's in the vine is in the branches. Now, do you think in this situation, Jesus would say, oh, my God, CNN and Fox News say it's a tragedy? Oh, my God. And it's on WSYR 9? I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm out of here. You think Jesus would say that? He said, no. I'll take care of that. Storm, you got it. The same juice that's in the vine is in the branches. The same juice. It, It cannot be a different juice. And I'm, I'm just saying juice, it's sap or whatever. <laughs> it's not juice, but it's, it's the same thing. It's got to be in the vine, okay? So we carry with us the DNA of the creator. We carry with us, we are more than conquerors. Through Christ Jesus who loves, we are more than that, okay? Jesus, when he also talked about everything that was going on, he says, what will happen in during the last days, this will be an opportunity, it will be an opportunity. You can read it. I'll give it to you because it's a little thing, and we just kind of, um, I know we, we kind of gloss over it, and I got these little things in the Bible, and they're supposed to make it easy for me to find stuff, but it's not happening. Okay. That's why, okay. Jesus is blind. Okay. Okay, Jesus, he comes back. That's Luke, right? Okay. Luke 22. Okay, Luke 21. He says, um, okay, they're going to surround it by, he says, they're going to bring you before judges and synagogues. It says there will be an opportunity for you to testify your testimony. So now, this is why all of this stuff, it's not why all this stuff, this is what part we can play in this. I can give a testimony. Yeah, aren't you scared? Not really. Oh, you don't care? No, it's not that I don't care. I don't care. I care when people die, but I'm not afraid. Because I know who's winning this thing. I get a chance to stand up and say, I'm following Jesus. He's got this thing under control. And I'm going to do something, whatever I can do, I'm going to do it. But I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to, you know, what I am going to do. There are some things we can do, but we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be uh, in a corner crying or whatever. We can stand up and say, no, no, this is not happening. This is not, this is not happening. Oh, this is not happening. No, this is not going to happen. We can turn this around because the juice from the vine is also in the branches. Got bad report. I'm sick unto death, whatever. Okay, well, you're not dead today, are you? No, I'm not. Okay, then what you going to do for Jesus? All right, if you ain't dead today, we can praise God with me, all right? Because we can, do, we can take this thing and go on about it, all right? We can do this because the, the vine is us. I am in the vine. If somebody pulls on me, the vine goes with that. Okay, so we are in the vine, and whatever's in the vine is also in us. So we do have a power, much more power than we think. What this news comes to tell us, we are powerless. We are powerful. The Bible says this is the time. That's why he says this is the time when we stand up. And Daniel, it said, in those times, many will go to and fro, John, and they will accomplish great things. This is when they, those who do righteousness will begin to shine like the sun. They said, no, I can do that. I will go there. I can do something for God. And I can change the situation because I am in the vine. I'm not related to the vine. And get this. Pastor Kelly, I don't even know the vine. I'm in the vine. I'm in the vine. Don't you know when you're in in the spirit of God, his spirit dwells with you in your spirit. And sometimes things you do, you don't even know why you're doing it. 
Why did I go to work that way? Why did I go into this bank? And that thing, and all of a sudden, it was a, a happy reunion with somebody. I didn't know I was going to go to be there. The Spirit of God knew you were going to be there. He guided you there. It didn't like it didn't come to Kevin, go to Bank of America. No, he just, <laughs> he just led you there. You know, he led you there. And then he says, oh, I see a, a former student. Oh, Mr. Lee. Ah, you know, and see, we yield to the spirit of God. He becomes part of our spirit. Our spirit is like this, and his spirit wraps around our spirit. And his impulses from his spirit affect our, little, our spirit man. He guides us, and sometimes we know things. We don't even know what it is, or people will we'll see everyone getting crazy, and we won't be all uh, intimidated and all stressed out because his spirit is not only insulating our spirit but calming us calming us and saying and calm in life in our spirit. And we speak a word to, of encouragement to somebody. How did you know that? Oh, well, you know, straight up, you know, I just was feeling that, you know. Um, spirit of, I don't want to say Spirit of God told me. Uh, no, I just love you and I, I want the best for you. So I want to speak into your life. And after a while, I can tell them that the Spirit of God told me. When the Spirit of God did tell me, and they may not be able to take it yet. This is what Jesus was telling them, you know, because sometimes we deal with people like that. Jesus told Nicodemus, he says, you got to be born of the water and of the spirit. And Jesus said, you know, he said, well, what do you mean by the spirit? He says, the wind blows where it will. And even though you don't see the wind, you see the effects of the wind. He says, yeah, I understand that. He says, well, I'm trying to explain to you things in the spirit. You don't even understand things that are natural. The spirit of God moves through us. And also he moves in God. And sometimes we get a download from the Spirit, and it's coming directly from God, information directly from God. Some people we can't tell that to because it comes a little intimidating to them. But we know where the, where the information is coming from because we are in the vine. Okay? Last thing. Okay? So we get this end times. They're perilous. They're perilous. And the peril is real. Okay? The real thing about the peril is it begins to, it wants to sidetrack us or to uh, sidetrack us or distract us from the truth that is in Christ Jesus. That's the number one damage, the number one danger of, the, of these end times. With all of this stuff going on, it's trying to, or the world is trying to, to, to distract us from Christ. What we can do, if we disengage, okay, what happens is we become accustomed to it, we become sleepy, and we become not effective. Okay. If we disengage, then we're still okay, but we won't affect this in any bigger place. And the worst thing can happen is we'll lose our uh, dependence on Christ and begin to depend on something else or someone else. But God's will is that we engage. God's will that we go after it. And uh, there are some ways we can engage it. Number one, we can engage it by actively remembering who Jesus Christ is and saying to ourselves and to someone else, I trust in Jesus. He's the author and finisher of my faith. He for the joy that was set before him endured the cross on my behalf so that I would be saved. We can intercede for people who are going through situations. Let the Kilauea, uh, I'm say, Kilauea volcano intercede for those people. Pray for those people. We could support people who are going through. What do you mean by support? Things like feed the city or support them. The other day we were riding around and I saw, uh, I was with Jordan, who is a great, an excellent uh, chauffeur, by the way. I was, <laughs> thank God for chauffeurs. We were driving around, and I saw the people who were panhandling, you know, and I don't, it's hard for me. But I said, you know what I'd like to do? If I could get a, a good card, a nice card, a good Christian card, you know, about Jesus and about if they hope in him. And even if they got somebody to make a card, have a nice card about Jesus and put a little money in it and give it to that person, then I get a chance to reach them with maybe the little money that they need, they want to have, but also a message I want them to have about Jesus to maybe give them hope. Okay, so support is another way to do it too. 
car ministry is awesome. All right. It's for you. Okay. Oh. I'm sorry, Justin. I got you. Support. Seek God's passion. God, what can I do? How do you feel about such and such, God? How do you feel about whatever, blah, 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 blah? How do you feel about these gangs or whatever? How do you feel about these people who are dying? Seek God's passion. God wants someone to want to know how he feels. Because if we knew how God felt, then what would happen is we would be passionate about it. God, and you can be honest, be real, God, I have no passion. I really don't care what happens to them. And I know that's not right. Give me your passion. Give me your passion. God has emotions, very strong emotions. Very strong emotions. And we can ask him for those emotions because then, then it stirs up in us and we could do something. What can I do? But if I had the passion, I would do such and such and such. But God, give me the passion. Give me the passion, dude. Otherwise, minister. Minister. Feed the city or visit someone who's in the hospital or visit someone who's incarcerated. Visit someone. Okay? In this way, what we're doing is, yeah, well, yeah, you didn't stop North Korea. True. But I did visit somebody, and that helps out. Or pray for people. Pray for these schools. Do you think God knows which school is going to be hit next? Do you really know that? Yes, I'm with you. Do you think God will tell you? Well, now we're not so sure about that, huh? Did we did read in the Bible last week when God uh, told Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go take care of Lot. I want to get Lot out of Sodom. And God gave Abraham what he needed for Abraham to engage God in, um, in negotiations to get Lot out of Sodom. God loved, he loved Lot enough to get Abraham to argue with God about getting Lot out of trouble. That's a lot of work. God, all he had to do was nothing. Right? So God does know what school is going to be hit next. Ask God, God, what school is going to be? Give me the school to pray for. Tell me who to pray for. Maybe I need to pray for a kid whose parents are divorced. Loves his mom. But the dad's got custody. And dad's abusive. And dad's got guns. You see, we want to... Seriously, we can get into this, and God wants to help us. He wants to help us. So this world will have us, well, school shootings. Oh, God, where is the shooting going to take place? No, Lee, are you going to fly down there? No, I'm not. But you know what? The hand of the Lord is not short. And God can reach anywhere he needs to reach. And if I know who to pray for, God says, I want you to get involved. God says, look, I'm not a thief. God says, I'm not a thief. If I was to jump in there without someone asking me to jump in there, I would be a thief. However, if someone asks me to jump in, then now I am jumping in. I'm interceding based on their prayers. See, God's got to, he works by certain rules. Knowing how he works and accommodating how he works will help us to engage in a way that can produce results. Ask God. Ask God. Ask God to show you who around you is hurting. Some people are hurting really bad. We, I mean, not like we don't have problems. We have problems, but some people are really hurting. Really hurting. God, where is the problem? Where, how can I help? How can I help? So these are perilous times. Dangerous times. Okay. Main danger facing us is the danger to be pulled away or lured away from the Lord Jesus Christ and the saving faith that is in Christ Jesus. The danger, the, the, the peril for unbelievers is to be lost for eternity. Okay. So it's two different perils, right, during the same time period. All right. What we can do, we can engage actively. Ask God to position us to engage. And I'm not talking in a 
a passive sense or whatever, say, God, I want to jump into this. I want, I got to do something. Okay. All right, so we can do that. Um, please stand. We said earlier that uh, the worst thing that can happen to a person. Oh, I didn't finish my notes. I have more notes now. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. So that um, the worst fate is that a person miss Christ. Miss him altogether. And then you say, well, you know, I, I know this, this, this thing is crazy. And it is very dangerous. I want to be safe. More than safe, I'd like God to be my partner. I'd like God to be my friend. I don't know what it is to have a God. I hear about people, oh, be my God. I don't know what that is. I want to know what it is like to have God on my side. To know he's on my side. To really know. In the first century, people had to put it all on the line. And different centuries after that, people had to put it on the line. Are you with Jesus? Stand over here. Yes. They knew that if they stood over there, they were going to be killed. But they said, yes, I'm with Jesus. They put it all on the line. But the flip side of it, at Calvary, Jesus says, I'm here for them. Knowing what they were going to do to him. And that's what he died for us. He died for us because he knew he had to. Even though he felt it. Even though it got to him. Even though it stressed him and he was overwhelmed. He still went. Because he thought you and me, our lives were better. Were worth more than what he had to go through to purchase them. They beat him so bad. His face was raggedy. It was not even held together. His skin was ragged. The, the face was, was just, skin was, you could see his eyes because they were held in place, but the skin was raggedy, torn, and just ripped up. And he didn't say, okay, I'm going to go now. He stood there. And he took more of it. And then he took him all the way to the point of death. He said, now we're going to hang you from a cross. And he did that. So he did that for us. If you, um, you want to know this person who went through all of that for you, if you, he says, now how... He who gave us his own son for us, gave up his own son for us, God, how would he, he would not withhold anything from us. How would he withhold anything from us, seeing that he gave up the best thing he had, the most valuable thing he had for you and for me? He would withhold nothing from you. If you want to know what it is to know this God, or to know this God on your side, or at least to acknowledge that, Lord, you died for me and Maybe I want, to come, I want to come to you. I want to get things right with you again. Maybe a person that I was not on the right track, you know, I want to get on the right track with you now. You can come up right now to the altar, you know. Or maybe you're the kind of person, I was born to a Christian family. So we figured, well, since I was born, since my mom was Christian and my dad was a Christian, I'm just a Christian, you know, that I became a Christian that way. If you have not become a Christian by actually coming and confessing, um, and uh, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and believing in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you can come up too. Okay. All right. Give you a couple of moments. All right. Okay. Um, if after church you realize, that, well, you know, maybe I do need to, to make this right with God. I want to get to know him. You can talk to anyone in the church. You can talk to definitely Pastor Kelly. You know, she's like, she make she, she getting saved. Pastor Kelly would probably be fun. She'll be, she'll be loving God, you know. Um, you can talk to Pastor Kelly or any of the other saints here. 
and we can lead you in this. Of course, it's a family thing. It's a family thing. Okay. Now, also, if, if anyone is feeling stressed about this time, I need to know what I need to do. I want to get energized. I want to get activated. I want to get my feet into this. I want to get going. But, Kev, I don't want to go home and, and all the energy now just kind of dissipates. I want to dissipate on the way home or at Burger King or at Wendy's or wherever you're going. I don't want to dissipate then. I want this to keep going. I want to be excited just like I'm kind of excited now. Come up. We'll pray with you. Okay? And uh, we'll activate you in, in the Lord so that you will be able to go and you will sustain it. Because a big time, a big um, danger is that we have a lot of energy in the church, but it's not sustained when we go home. So if you want to get prayed for to get energized, get prayed for to get uh, activated, okay, there'll be people up here who can pray for you to do that too, okay? If you want to get prayed to get passion or to get a ministry idea, okay, we'll be praying for that as well too, okay? You can come up for prayer, all right? All right, so, um, so we've got things. And the rest, if you can just go to, um, you know, Go to, if you're going to leave, rather than socialize in, in the sanctuary, we ask you to, to socialize outside. That way it doesn't become uh, too noisy in here. Just save me some coffee and there's any donuts, some diced donuts out there, save it for me too. But uh, that's good. All right, so uh, we're going to dismiss. Do I have to do I just dismiss? We're good. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, God. And thank you for these people, Lord God. And thank you for your word. God, um, Make your word reverberate in our hearts. That we don't have to live lives that are tossed by the sea of, of tribulation and, and the peril and the uh, anxiety of this last days. We will stand with you in Christ, God. And we'll make a good run of this thing. And we'll make an effort, Lord, and we'll change things and represent Christ and shine for Christ. Even in these times, though they be dark. In Jesus' name, amen.